Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Lots of kids look to the stars and think to themselves that someday they'd like to be among them. When asked about their dream career, many enthusiastically offer up, I want to be an astronaut, but few actually pursue this path and even less get close to achieving it. Then, for those that nearly reach that goal as adults, but don't end up as astronauts, it's even more rare for those few to take that passion and find another way to channel it toward working in the space industry. At five years old, Luca Rossettini began pursuing his passion, and he has never stopped. Today, he is CEO and founder of D-Orbit, and his company provides space logistics and orbital transportation. On this episode of Future of Tech, Luca shares how his childhood passion has led to his career and offers encouragement to the next generation. He discusses why the conditions are right for a rapid increase in the amount of space satellites, and he reveals that the future involves building logistical infrastructure in space. Enjoy this episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So hello and welcome to a new episode of Future of Tech. Today, my guest is Luca Rosettini, who is the CEO and founder of The Orbit. Hello, Luca. Hello, hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, today we're going to speak about space and satellites and, and all this uh, emerging industry that uh, lately was a lot in news and there is a lot of things that I would like to cover. Before we go deep into the technology and the relative uh, different aspects, maybe we'll start with a personal ask. Luca, tell me a bit about how you grew into technology and how you became the founder of The Orbit. <laughs> Good question. Well, it started a long time ago when I was a kid. So as, as many kids, I wanted to become an astronaut. So what I did at that time, I was five years old. I started understanding how to get there. So I planned my life, you know, like schools and uh, all the extracurricular activities and so on to get enough scores to get to the astronaut contest prepared. And, uh, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm not an astronaut uh, uh, if I'm here. So I went through the, the European selection, not deep enough. I got a letter at a certain point stating, try again later, maybe next time you will be you will be more lucky. That was my goal and that also the motivation to start the orbit. So I started my technology career 
when I was five, but the real uh, most important part happened when I selected the universities, the PhD and all the other activities, the, the, like the, the work at NASA in, in 2008, 2009, 2010. So all, everything was a piece, an important piece of the, of the puzzle. Great. Now walk us through some basics terminology because, you know, some of our audience, they read a lot about satellites or about space. So can you give us like a brief history about the, the quest and, and what is it all about? Why everybody is now so interested in satellites and, and what's so unique about it? Okay. So to answer this question, I would start uh, from Earth. If we look at what is happening here on Earth, we see that pretty much all the industries are growing thanks to digitalization, like applying the concept of Industry 4.0, automation, uh, big data, you know, using big data to extract important decision information and and so on. So if we look at these trends, we can better understand why space is important because all the the added value uh, data that you you need to move forward towards these trends uh, are better coming from space. So with space, with satellite constellations, today you can deliver this type of information to any place on Earth. So one infrastructure and your market is global. And this is uh, why a lot of companies are investing to send their satellites into space, because they will get to the maximum scalability of the business. i just give you this example. Uh, let's take internet. So today... You know, the best internet ever now is the fiber optics. But uh, if you are a fiber optic company, uh, of course, your market will be, I don't know, Boston. So you put fiber optics in Boston. And then if you want to expand your market, then you go to to New York. And then you dig again, you put the fiber, then you cover the soil, and then you have Boston plus New York. Then after 10 years, you need to upgrade your technology. So you go back to Boston, dig, extract the old fiber, put the new one, and then again. So pretty much with the same amount of money of one city, you can create a satellite constellation that is delivering internet to the entire Earth. And every few years, you can upgrade your technology from like 4G to 5G to 6G in the future and so on at the fraction of the cost that you will have with the fiber optics. So this is an, an example of how scalable is the, the space technology and the accessibility to every market. So new businesses, new business model, new companies that are seeing these opportunities. And on the other hand, new investors that understood that this could be you know, a great return on investment that start investing heavily in the space sector, generating more and more companies willing to enter into the market. And that's, that's how space is uh, becoming more and more popular. And that's why a lot of companies are deciding to move their steps into space, not just young companies, but even traditional companies that are you know, adding space to their standard market expansion plan. So maybe walk me through some basics to understand. What's the difference between a satellite that is serving, as you said, 4G or 5G, and a satellite that is a, a TV satellite or an army satellite or, I don't know, something? is there a difference between them? Oh, yeah. Let's say every, every type of information that you need from satellites 
define also the type of technology that you have on board of satellites. So let's say you, the, the agriculture market, they need to understand where and when to water the, the plants, right? So uh, the type of information require special cameras, so optical cameras that are able to take pictures and deliver this type of images, and then the images will be processed to generate this information. So that special camera could be like big or small, and that's defined how far from Earth the satellite is going to be put and how big and how powerful the satellite is going to be. And this is an example. So for telecommunication satellites, of course, you need to, to be able to deliver information directly or to transfer information from one point to another, like the Internet of Things satellite constellations. For what in, in, in the space um, uh, language we call Earth observation satellites. So all the satellites that are able to take pictures, uh, not only in the visible frequency, so not just regular picture, maybe sometimes in the infrared, maybe in, in other, you know, like other type of pictures, uh, then you can have different type of satellites, bigger or smaller. And for, as you said, for uh, defense purpose, there may be other type of satellites as well with more powerful payloads, so more powerful sensors that can uh, you know, do many different things. In the orbit, we focus mainly on, on commercial uh, customers. So customers that have cameras, antennas, or other type of, of sensors to help our society with uh, like making use of, of new services that are improving our day-by-day life. So what happened recently that this technology is now uh, so cheap, if I may, or so convenient to be used as opposed to previous years? Yeah, well, so let's say that this is, a, uh, this is really true. So today a satellite can cost down to 400 times less with respect to the traditional satellites that we were used to see 20 years ago. There are a few reasons about that. So uh, first of all, of course, at the beginning, space was only for few and, uh, and space was heavily government driven because you need to create the, the first infrastructure. So you really wanted to have the perfect quality, very long lasting satellites in order to deliver uh, information to ground. Now we are entering to the commercial phase in which the needs are different. So companies need all the time state of the art. Uh, technology and information. So it means that your satellite, if you leave a satellite 15 years in space, it will become obsolete after just a few years. So, uh, you know, if we think again about internet, probably 15 years ago, I didn't have internet on my cell phone. And uh, even if I had at that time, it was just, uh, you know, so slow internet that it's not comparable with the internet that I'm using now on my cell phone. So uh, the pace of technology on ground really changed dramatically in the last years. And so the technology that you want to have on satellites. So that means that you don't need to have long lasting satellites. You can build satellites that last only a few years in space. And this is also helping reducing the cost. Plus the miniaturization process that happened here on Earth that helped reducing the size of satellites. Now there is the, the biggest satellite constellation of small satellites 
it's made of satellites that are about 30 centimeters, so like 10 inches uh, satellites that are taking pictures of our planet and providing information for, for a diversity of industrial sectors here. So you mentioned two things which um, are fascinating. One, you said a satellite 10 inches size. How do you launch a 10 inches size satellite? This is one question. And the second, you've mentioned the term several times, uh, constellation, when it comes to satellites. Can you explain uh, what does it mean? Yes, yes, of course. So in the past, you usually have one big satellite and then you buy, that, like usually it's government, uh, you know, paid for, uh, the, the government paid for it. And then you need to find the launcher uh, you put the satellite into the launcher and then the launcher brings the satellite exactly wh- where it needs to be or as close as possible. And then the satellite will have like a big propulsion system with a lot of propellant on board and then it will move to the final destination. One satellite. So it's pretty much, I mean, it's not easy, but it's definitely easier with respect to having a multiple, you know, having a large number of satellites. So now that the satellites are smaller, of course, they are smaller, but then you need more than one because you want to cover as many markets as possible with uh, a group of satellites. So first of all, the new satellite operators are launching several satellites uh, at once to build constellations, so group of satellites in orbit that usually are like dozens of satellites up to hundreds or even thousands of satellites to deliver the best services. So in that case, before the orbit, uh, the only solution was to find either a launch broker that could uh, provide, uh, could buy some, let's say, space available on a, on a rocket and then integrate these small satellites into what is called deployer. So like sort of a, a metal tubes from which they will be ejected once the rocket uh, reach orbit. Or uh, you need to buy a dedicated rocket just for you, but it will be so expensive that, you know, only... Only few or, or for like emergency situation, this could be acceptable. What we do, we, we change the concept. So we said, so it's not just a matter of sending the satellite in space. It just is also making sure that they are, they are exactly in the right position to operate immediately. Because as we said, the satellites are not lasting a lot in space as in the past. So every month is really important. So you are sacrificing revenues uh, having additional costs and so on. So if the concept is to make sure that satellite operators can have their satellites in the right location as soon as possible, then you need to introduce the concept of logistics. So instead of launching satellites directly with rocket, we launch a vehicle. In our case, it's called ION. Uh, It's a sort of post office truck. So you fill up with packages that are satellites. And once you reach orbit, you switch on the engine and then you move around like Boston, New York, San Francisco. Exactly. And you deliver the package to the, to the final destination in uh, 85% uh, less time and even saving 40% of the cost. That's really what is uh, changing the way of you know, putting satellites in space today. So basically, everyone can approach the post office today. So it means also that everyone can approach you and launch um, those 10 inches satellites and drop them uh, whenever they want? Is it like uh, the wild, wild west uh, 200 years ago? Everybody can do uh, whatever satellite he wants and put it wherever he wants? 
Well, so let's say if they approach us and they have, uh, instead of 10 inch, like 20 inches or like 50 inch, it doesn't matter, whatever the size of your satellite. So we feed, men, we feed them all. So uh, you can really have a, a weird satellite a week. It's pretty much like a cargo, right? So whatever can fit in the cargo, it's transportable. But you mentioned the Wild Wild West, and that, that, that's very interesting because space is still a little bit of Wild Wild West in the sense that, yes, there are regulations already in place, and uh, most of the companies are really uh, complying to all these regulations, but these regulations are in some case obsolete. So regulatory body at worldwide level are already working hard to update the regulations to make sure that we cover all the new businesses that will be in the future. One of the biggest issues is space debris. So regulatory bodies are addressing the problem of space debris by following different approaches. The, the, the difficulties are that, well, first of all, it's, it's a new regulation. So you know, it takes time to, to issue. But the second issue is even more important uh, if you want to issue a, a new law in U.S., well, it takes whatever it takes, but then you have one, you know, decision maker, uh, decision makers group, and then you can implement. But they, if you need to work in space, the decision makers are people from all the nations in this planet. And to have all of them agreeing, even on simple and, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, something that everybody agrees in principle, it's not as easy as it seems. Got you. Now, Luca, it seems like today everybody can launch uh, a satellite just because he wants it. What's the barrier for entry? Just saying, I need just yeah. some pocket money and I, and I go and buy a satellite and put it on a rocket and I can give it to my child as a birthday gift that now he has a satellite? Well, it's, it's, you know, it seems easy. As I mentioned, space is... I mean, everything but not easy, right? So, so the, 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 the first uh, perception is that, I mean, you can just, as you said, you buy a space into a rocket and that's it. You want to send a, like, a, like a stone, you can do that. Actually, it's not like that. So there are some processes that you need to be aware of. You need to have a frequency license that usually take, takes months to get. Otherwise, you, you will not be able to communicate with your satellite and you can get a penalty. You, you, you can get a fine. So you have to be careful with that. Then there are other obligations like import-export. It's likely if you have a satellite and you need to launch from another state and you need to, to understand how it works. Most of space technology is considered dual use, not because it's really uh, only for the defense, but because it's a special technology. Uh, so it's subject to special regulations and, and, and procedures. And then you need to go through certain tests because if you install a satellite into a rocket and then your satellite is not able to withstand, a, I don't know, just a vibration level that you are experiencing during the, during the launch, it could break and the particles could damage the other satellites on board. So you need to demonstrate that you went through certain tests. So, you know, it's not, uh, it's not trivial. It is doable. You need knowledge. You need to have some experience. You need, to, you need also to understand what are the potential issues, like the customs that are stopping your satellite, and then you have a launch in like in a few weeks, uh, and you are sweating because you want you know, to unlock the satellite, selecting the transportation company, because not all the companies 
uh, will transport your satellite. If you have special equipment on board, like motors or you know, with, with special fuel, you need to have agreements on the launch base to make sure that they let you fill up your tank. So it's all, always the minor aspects that actually are more tricky, right? Because it's, it, uh, uh, they are those that you think at the, la uh, at the last time, uh, at the last moment. And this is what they could uh, prevent you uh, after you spent a lot of money and time to really get to space. Now, roughly speaking, if in the past you said only countries and relatively few of them were able to launch a satellite, then it cost them hundreds of millions probably. What will be the average cost for, this, I don't know, a basic satellite for a company that wants to launch it for, I don't know, weather forecasting or for taking pictures or, you know, you, you can give me an example. What will be the, uh, the basic number, roughly speaking, without going, you know, into the details? The traditional satellites, I mean, you, you, you can range from a few hundred millions to billions, depending on the performance, right? So you have scientific satellites that are like in the order of the billion, and, they are, and you have the best technology ever, uh, down to a few hundred million, and you still have very performing satellites capable of lasting like a decade in space or even more than that. The new era of satellites is, is different. So if you, if you divide by 400, you ended up in about 1 million per satellite. That's, that's really a rough order of magnitude. Of course, if you have a serious production, you can even lower the cost to you know, a few hundred K uh, to produce it. Then you have the, the launch cost. The launch cost is still important. So uh, there are several new companies now that are driving the, the, the launch cost down, but still the launch cost is one of the most important in the overall value chain. Uh, and then you have all the other costs associated to the operation. So, so let's keep in mind that it's not sufficient just to launch the satellite. Then you need to communicate with the satellite and all the data. So you need to have a, a ground station and antenna. You need to have a software to communicate. So there are some other costs, but let's say one million, the order of magnitude is one to two million. So like, really uh, two order of magnitude less today. But on the other hand, it's likely because you are saving such a lot of money that you are not going to launch one Earth observation, one weather forecasting satellite. You are launching, as, as we said before, a constellation of satellites. Another aspect that is important to underline today, the technology, so the, the performance of these small satellites is not comparable with the superior uh, performance of traditional satellites. That, this is also explaining the, you know, the difference in price. On the other hand, technology is moving so fast that you will always uh, be able to get the state-of-the-art technology on your small satellite. And in the future, this performance gap will reduce over time down to, to zero. So this is, this is uh, what we are seeing on the market and, and, and what's going on uh, and what, what, what is going to happen in the near future. Great. Now I'd like to tie two, let's say, interesting phenomena that uh, probably everybody is, is discussing. First of all is the play of the, uh, of the cloud vendors in this, in this uh, ecosystem. So can you explain to me why is Google Amazon, 
Microsoft are are interested in in satellites and and what is the uh, potential play of them in this ecosystem? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question. In fact, it is because uh, first, as I say, the first level of interest is the enormous amount of data that satellites generate. And this data need to be stored and processed in order to be able to extract information that you can sell to you, to customers. So definitely all the existing cloud infrastructures today are a key and uh, like a very important piece of the equation. So every space business will need these capabilities. And uh, most of the satellite operators are already using the, like the, the cloud that you just mentioned. Uh, so uh, this is already happening, but there's more going on because the, the cloud is moving into space. So the cloud infrastructure that, that is used today is at the end of a process. So imagine one satellite that can you know, collect uh, an enormous amount of data but then it's a small satellite with a limited power, so only a fraction will be downloaded to Earth. And then it takes time. And then once you have this, uh, let's say, set of pictures, then you need to process the picture. So you use the cloud system to process the pictures and extract information. But usually, it's like when you take picture with your cell phone. You take 20 pictures, and then you, you know, so this is no good, no good, no good. And then out of 20, probably you save like two or three, right? And basically, you can uh, uh, discard up to 70, 80% of the data from satellites because it's not good data. Then you process them, then it takes more time, and so on. What if you move the cloud in space? So all these uh, operations will be done directly where the satellites are. So you can process all the data, not just what you are able to download. You can discard all the unusable data directly in orbit. You can reduce to the minimum the, the latency time and not just the latency, all the time required to have the information. And also you can download information rather than images because they are already ready to be sold to, to your customers. So this is a game changer in terms of technology. Of course, there are several companies that are willing to create this uh, in the future. The, the good news is that we are going to test the first uh, server in orbit on board of our Ion uh, in a few weeks from now. And we are going to test the first uh, cloud computing, orbital cloud computing. So we are not at the point in which we can deliver the service, of course, but you know it's already happening. So it's not just a, a science fiction or an idea for the future. This is something that is, uh, is already reality. This is fascinating. Now. Another aspect that you started to explain, and I would like you to uh, spend some more time, is all the operational aspects of, uh, of the satellite uh, data coming. Can you elaborate a bit more about what does it mean, the operational aspect, and, and uh, what is it all about? Yeah, so let's take um, as a real example what we do with our cargo, with our ion. So there are several aspects in which operations are, are really an important aspect to, to be considered. So first of all, once you have all the satellites on board of your cargo uh, and you are released from the rocket, you want to move the cargo in the right orbit, in the right position. So you need to have control of the satellite, provide instruction to my cargo uh, in order to go in the right position. And you need to understand where you are. You need to, to do a lot of checks. So 
in the orbit, this is pretty much automatic. Everything is automatic, but you need to have a, a software that it's uh, uh, in contact with your cargo in orbit, and it is able to upload commands and receive data and process the data, provide you, you know, warning if something is not going well or just to a green light to move to the next step. Once you reach the right orbit, then you need to deploy uh, the customer satellite that need to operate in that specific position. And that's again when you need to focus on operations and so on. And then you move again the cargo into another slot and you deliver the other satellite. Then once all the satellites have been deployed, there is a, a, another important aspect of our missions in orbit that is testing technologies for other companies. Uh, imagine early stage companies that they have developed a very innovative and disruptive technology, but they need a proof of concept that today takes uh, up to five years and $6 million uh, you know, to fly, to find the, the opportunity to fly and test this technology in space. So we start the second phase of the mission for those companies and the, the, there will be a continuous utilization of our uh, mission control center in this case. And we are not going to use only our own antennas. So we have antennas on the roof. We are going to connect our mission control centers with antennas from third-party providers. So other companies that have uh, installed antennas in other locations in, uh, in this planet in order to have more access, so like more frequent access to our cargo while traveling around the Earth in order to perform all the tests and experiments required by our customers. So, Operations, it's most of the time not really on the, you know, on, on, on the first uh, priorities for, uh, uh, for space, but it's, a, it's a, an enabling infrastructure that is important to consider. And not just the hardware, especially the software that we are using, because if you are changing satellite, you don't really want a software that needs to be, you know, changed or like built from scratch every time that you change your satellite. So I have a follow-up question. Is there like a, a security threat that can come? Someone stealing your satellite, someone uh, uh, taking over your satellite, so someone uh, disrupting the, the courier to taking the satellite from point A to point B or putting it in point C instead of point B. Is there something like this that you are looking into? So you are touching a very delicate argument. And uh, so cybersecurity is going to be a very important issue for the entire space market. It is already, I have to say. But as every problem, if you look at the problem from a different perspective, it becomes an, uh, like an incredible opportunity, right? So there are several companies that are working on uh, cybersecurity also for the space sector. And this is going to become one of the strictest requirements uh, anytime soon. As we said, space is still uh, like the wild, wild west, but it's uh, you know, growing and changing very rapidly. So these aspects is going to be critical. In the orbit, for example, we are already adopting yeah, several, let's call it in general, cybersecurity measures, not because we really need them today, but we are already adopting what we believe is going to be required tomorrow. And this is not just a static task. So once you did it, it's over. It's uh, you know, a constant effort, a constant investment that we are making to make sure that everything is safe. I think uh, this is going to be 
especially important for uh, satellite operators that are delivering special services to, uh, to, to Earth. Uh, you mentioned like taking control of a satellite, but imagine what, what could happen if you are, uh, your car, an autonomous vehicle, is, uh, you know, is using satellites and then suddenly the satellite is telling, oh, you are uh, five yards uh, right uh, and it's not true, right? So this could be really, really critical and like disruptive in negative sense. So cybersecurity is definitely an important aspect that all the space companies are really looking at very carefully. Okay, and, and if we're speaking about... Uh... Technology, can you share some of the um, either obstacles or challenges of designing a solution that needs to operate in space? Well, yeah. So let's say today you can really look at many other sectors that are non-space sectors to see how they evolve their technology. And you can, you know, use as an, as an example to understand what will happen in the space sector as well. From an implementation point of view, you should also remember that the space sector, the space environment, is completely different from any imaginable Earth environment. So you can go from plus uh, 100 Celsius to minus 40 Celsius in few tens of minutes. So it means that your, your piece of hardware uh, should be capable of sustaining this thermal variation that it's really a lot. Or when you put your satellite into the launcher, as we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, the launcher, I mean, the launcher is a controlled bomb, right? So it's a very powerful source of energy uh, and it, vib- it vibrates while going into space. And this vibration is really putting in a hard life, the satellite design. You need to make sure that it will sustain all this vibration without falling apart. So there are several aspects that you need to take into consideration. And another example is radiation. So if your satellite is not uh, planned to last like several years in space, of course, the the effect of radiation could be mitigated uh, through some aspects, for example, redundancies, uh, quality, uh, introducing a very strict quality process in which you test all your components before going to space. This is, for example, a very important aspect that the new space community is learning uh, step by step. And I think this is uh, an aspect that the new space community should learn from the traditional companies in which quality was everything. It doesn't mean that you need to spend a huge amount of money. It needs that you need to understand what are the quality process that help you to prevent issues when you are in orbit, and so on. So good technology is always, you know, preferable. Uh, Of course, it should not be too expensive technology, especially if the satellites are not going to be too expensive. On the other hand, quality process, uh, checking whatever you do in a structured way, uh, make sure that you understand what the space environment is about, solar flares, uh, radiation, thermal environment, vibrations, even the interference with the electromagnetic field uh, or like the telecommunication system could really, you know, put at stake uh, your hardware. So if you understand that and you test everything before getting to space, you have a very good chance that everything will work in a good way. With redundancy, then 
you reach the best limit. Now, obviously, when I have a failed equipment at home, I can call a technician. If you have a failure, um, I assume you are not uh, sending yourself as an astronaut to fix the satellite. So how do you uh, fix uh, a malfunction? Yeah, you know, as much as I would like to be the one going up with a screwdriver to fix it, uh, at the moment, it's not really economic convenient to do that. So that's another reason why you really want to make sure that whatever you launch in space is really, you know, working. For example, this is one aspect that we invested a lot. We dedicated a lot of time to develop our technology to make sure that it's, you know, really working. Uh, because we, so our case is very specific. So we are not just sending satellite to deliver data to, to ground. So you may decide instead of launching 10 satellites, you may decide to launching like 50 satellites. So it doesn't matter if you have some issues, some of them will always be working. You know, I mean, you spend a lot of money anyway, right? So it, it is really debatable. I mean, if you have money, you can do that. But in our case, we are dealing with customers that actually have satellites to be placed in orbit. So we need to make sure to deliver. So making sure that our technology is working in space is the priority number one. We even have in our iron, we, we patented the system we call guaranteed deployment. So whatever happens, even if the entire cargo will stop working, that means that all the redundancies, all the system will stop working. There is a probability is almost zero, but still, even in that case, our cargo will be able to deploy the satellites in orbit. So, and, uh, and the other aspect, we help our companies, especially the, the early stage companies, to better understand the quality process without incurring in too high cost for applying the, the quality process. Because first of all, it's helping them, but it's helping also like the orbit and it's helping the, in general the ecosystem. Because if you send a satellite in space and then suddenly the satellite stop working, then you are creating a debris and debris is threatening all the other satellites. So we believe that you know, adopting a minimum quality process is good for everyone, for the business, for the ecosystem and for the future development of the business activity. So you've mentioned debris, and I wanted to uh, to understand what happens at the end of life of a satellite. How, first of all, how do you decide that the satellite is is about to end its life, and and then what's what's happening? Is it like uh, you shut it down and it falls back, and or or it it melts? Uh, what happens to it? Yeah. So let's say a satellite at the end of life. So you usually understand when your satellites are having some issues because you download the data, like the, the health check. So, so you, you make an health check on your satellite and you see that there are some subsystems that are not really working properly. And if you have redundancies, you know, one redundancy fail, then you know that you have only one or other two only. So you know when it's coming. But uh, in most cases, you don't know when your satellite is going to die. So they die unexpectedly. Most of the satellites don't have redundancies. So they just die. And at that point, there's nothing you can do. So your satellite will stay there. And so that's why there are some regulations. So for example, if you have a small satellite that you don't have any propulsion on board, you cannot fly. So you cannot put your satellite above a certain orbit because at that point, the time to 
have your satellite enter into the atmosphere and, bo- and burn completely, it will be uh, too much. So beyond the 25 years. On the other end, if we think about with tens of thousands of new satellites being launched, the 25 years time today allowed for a dead satellite to be removed from space is really an anachronistic figure. It's really too much. So we cannot afford 25 years anymore. So there are other solutions that are going to be put in place. You can opt for installing in your satellite a device like our D3. There is a decommissioning system. And when your satellite dies, our decommissioning system will remove very quickly your satellite. Or you can opt for in the future, so now it's not yet in service, but there are companies, uh, apart from the orbit, also other companies that are willing to provide this service. It's called active debris removal. So basically you you go with your, imagine our cargo that is a big satellite with robotic arms. You can go and grab the defunct satellites and then remove it and bring it away. And the way you are removing satellites today, if they are in the low Earth orbit, so most of the satellites that are taking pictures of Earth are, are there, then you direct them towards the atmosphere where, where they will evaporate, basically. Almost nothing will survive uh, and, uh, unless the satellites are, are very big. If the satellites are far away from Earth, so for example, the satellites that are used to, like, to see the football match from one continent to another, so they are at, uh, in, in an orbit called geostationary orbit. In that case, you move the satellite into a graveyard orbit. So it's a special orbit designed to act as a sort of uh, wasteland. So you put all the waste there. And I think, you know what? I think it's a good idea to have wastelands in space, very limited and defined areas in which you can put the defunct satellites. Because in the future, those satellites may become raw material that you can reprocess, you know, recycle in orbit to generate new satellites that may be used in space in the future. But today is not possible. So this is science fiction today. Now, everybody speaks lately about, uh, I wouldn't call it space travels, but you know, uh, space tourism. Uh, some billionaires are, if you pay enough money, you can uh, take a rocket and fly. Uh, so first of all, on a personal level, I would like to understand, would this be uh, something that you'll be interested to do just to, you know, to fulfill your life uh, ambitions to become an astronaut? And second, do you see this as something that uh, people would like to do and uh, it will become more and more common? Well, I, I start from the second, then I go to the first. So definitely this is going to be a, a, a big market. These guys are really opening the door to like, uh, other opportunities for, uh, for people that really want to, you know, to, to have a different type of, of tourism. And I think this is a really a compelling say, way uh, of, of spending the time. Of course, it's very expensive today, but it, it's always like that. I mean, the first flights were so expensive. I do remember my first laptop. It was, you know, like crazy expensive, right? So at the beginning, everything is expensive because, because it is what it is. It's only for few, only for those that, that can afford. But definitely, this is going to, to be cheaper and cheaper. Many other players will jump into this market and offer their services. So 
Oh, yes. I, I, I would like to go to space. And, uh, you know, if Richard Branson or like Bezos are, are listening to this podcast and they want to, to give me a ride, I will be happy, you know, to, to have the ride. On the other hand, I think this is just the beginning of what they are doing. I'm pretty sure they want to move to the, to the next step that is really interplanetary travel. And, uh, and this is where we are aiming. On the other hand, I think an important aspect so today we are seeing these billionaires, as you mentioned, they're spending a lot of money and they are able to get to space once. And every time it's very expensive to get there. And uh, uh, what will really change the equation again, what will uh, enable everybody to fly in space in the future and how you, uh, the way that will enable you to drive down the cost will be the presence of an infrastructure in space that is a logistics infrastructure as easy as it seems. So here on Earth, we take logistics for granted. But if we think about, even if you are, uh, you are a company producing like pens, then you need someone to pick up the pen at the factory, bring it to the distributor, and then, you know, so on to the local shop in which you can buy a pen for, for, for pennies, right? So logistics is an enabling infrastructure that will help uh, not just the space students, but also all the other activities that we are going to do in space in the near future. So today is important for all the satellite operators, for those who operate satellites today. It's going to be important for the space students, but it's definitely going to uh, be a critical element for all the human expansion in a sustainable space. This is very, very interesting. And if you look into the future of your own industry, what would be the next steps? At the beginning, I mentioned, if you want to understand uh, why the space sector is growing, look at what is happening here on Earth and how the Earth industries are growing. So today, the space is a space-to-Earth focused. So it's a space-to-Earth market. What the Orbit is doing is um, creating, uh, I mean, together with other companies, but definitely we are among the first, creating uh, a space-to-space -space market. So providing services and creating infrastructure that will enable all the other activities. And that's the second phase, having a layer of services for satellites that are already in orbit. Once you get there, then you start building what you require in order to go to the next step, uh, orbital manufacturing, and, uh, and uh, recycling, uh, recycling in orbit. And we already have the, the resources that are in space. As I mentioned, all the defunct satellites could be in some way reprocessed, maybe using 3D printing, uh, create new satellites that are already in space. I mean, if we think about, we don't build boats on deserts and move them into the sea. So why should we build satellites on Earth? if we are going to use them in space, right? So today, of course, it's not possible, but that's, that's the logical consequence of what's going on. And this, this is going to drive also the way you design your satellites. So for example, design to maintenance rather than design to cost. You don't need to maintenance your satellite today, but you will need it in the future. So, and, and this is the third phase. Then we can move forward. At that point, you have all the elements, you have the space cloud edge computing, you have the orbital manufacturing, you have the all the in-orbit servicing, so you have the 
you know, the, like the, the road assistance already in space. You have everything ready. You can think to expand this infrastructure also to other celestial bodies like the moon, uh, Mars, the asteroid belt, and you are going to create a stable interplanetary space economy. And this is not going to happen in uh, 50 years or 100 years in the future, because the, at the pace in which technology is moving, at the pace in which the space sector is showing very high return to the financial investors, so motivating more money to be invested in the sector, and uh, at the pace at which the space is understood as uh, important for the benefits of all the people on Earth, so we are really improving our lives thanks to like space services. This is going exponentially. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to happen way before than we can imagine. This is really, really interesting. And, and Luca, allow me before we conclude to ask you maybe a personal question. So there is this boy, five years age, listening to our podcast. And he is considering, should he go and be an astronaut? What will you tell him? <laughs> So first of all, I will tell him that the, the man or the woman that will live on Mars is already here with us today. So he's already existing in this planet and likely it's going to be maybe a child. Probably. So he may be the guy. And second, uh, I will tell him never give up, even if, uh, you know, what you see It's not reality now. If you have solid assumptions and you see that in other sectors, it happened exactly the same. It means it's just a matter of time. Collect all the information, study a lot, take all these experiences that you can make in order to get where you want and find the right team. Don't do it alone. We are humans. We are you know, social animals. We need to work together. There is no one company in the space sector, especially. We are all cooperating with each other. And in a company, there is no one man. So that's an important message. So go talk with people, team up, and create something that today is considered science fiction. But science fiction is the science of tomorrow. Bellissima. With this uh, very positive, uh, <laughs> I think, conclusion, thank you very much for being with us. It was a, a really exciting discussion and looking forward for uh, seeing you either in space or on Earth. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.